How do you build a ten million dollar company virtually? This is Greg Gallant. Welcome to Venture Voice. Today, my guest is Graham Hill, the founder of Treehugger. Graham started Treehugger at 2003 when、uh, he was 34. But before that, he'd started a couple other businesses. He built his own web design firm, which he'd sold off and made several million from. And then he simultaneously, actually, when I got to his office, I saw these、uh, these kind of typical coffee cups you'll see given out, paper coffee cups given out in delis, etc. But Graham had one that was ceramic. I'd seen these before at gift shops, but I discovered that it was also Graham who invented that. So Graham talks about that invention, but primarily we talk about how he built Treehugger, starting in 2003. In 2007, in August of 2007, he sold it to Discovery Communications for exactly 10 million dollars. It was a very quick ramp, and even more interesting, he's never had an office, and some people just work out of their apartment. He's never even just worked out of one apartment. Rather, Graham built this company completely virtually. He was in Barcelona for part of the launch, traveled Europe while growing this business that turned out to be a pretty significant concern. So we'll find out how he did it, how you can run a business completely virtually, and also how Graham has innovated in the green space. Enjoy the show. I'd like to thank our new partner, FreshBooks, for sponsoring this episode. FreshBooks is an easy-to-use online invoicing service that saves you time, gets you paid faster, and makes you look Fortune 500 professional. To learn more, sign up. Go to freshbooks.com, and for a limited time, enter the code Venture to save twenty dollars on your paid subscription, or go click their link from our website. I use FreshBooks to invoice sponsors, and it leaves me with more time to make this show for you. Graham, welcome to Venture Voice. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming on. I want to、um, I want to get into Treehugger pretty soon, but first I'd love to hear a little about what you studied back in college and kind of how that led you to start your first business. All right. Well, I studied.、Uh, I did a lot of basically a big design education, so I studied architecture for five years at Carleton in Ottawa. I'm Canadian, and then、uh, really at the time probably should have been studying、uh, product design because that's really what what I ended up liking. So I went to Emily Carr in Vancouver and studied product design for a couple of years there. Great. And so, you know, you know product design now. What do you do with that? Well, the design education has actually turned out to be quite useful. I haven't done a lot of products, but I certainly have done a lot of design. Ended up learning a ton about the web and doing doing a bunch of stuff there.、Uh, a web development company, and then then, then later Treehugger.、Um, one thing which your listeners can't see, but is this cup in front of us? So that's that's the one product that I've done. So it's a、uh, uh, how to describe it? It's the、uh, WeAreHappyToServeYou.com is the site. And it's a, a replica of the New,、uh, New York paper cup, which you can see in all the movies when they're trying to place it in New York.、And、it's a cup that's been around for about 40 years, and it's just a real icon for for New York. And so,、uh, negotiated the exclusive license、uh, to make it out of ceramic, and、uh, we have it in 270 stores and sell a, a container or so of them a, a year. So,、uh, great little side business. So it came in handy there for sure. That's very cool. I've actually I saw those in a gift store recently. I'll, I'll post a link on the site. And so when did you when did you do that? 
Uh, I did it around the same time as Treehugger, sort of end of 2003, early 2004. I had been working on a, a plant-based air filter for a year, year and a half, and the, the prototypes that we were making, uh, I was trying to, I, I tried many different approaches, but the, one of the approaches was to make it out of ceramic. So I was down uh, through um, uh, aid to artisans. They connected me with a, a, a ceramic factory in Peru. And so I was down there for about six weeks uh, working on these air filter prototypes out of ceramic. And being a designer, I, I, I just I had all these cycles, and so I just was designing all sorts of stuff, tea sets and you know, just uh, containers of various sorts. And for some reason, I just loved this, this cup and came up with the idea of making it out of ceramic, and, and so there it was. So the cup looks exactly like the paper cup. That's the, that's the <laughs> idea. So when, you, when this idea first came to you, did you kind of think through it as a business, like think about how many you could sell, how you'd make money, or were you just like, okay, let me figure out how to make this thing, and we'll see what happens from how there. Revision, how revisionist do you want me to be, I guess? <laughs> uh, I tend to go with my gut on, on things, and it wasn't a huge expense, so... Uh, I just thought it would be a neat thing to do, and so I, I put together the prototypes. And you know, I was already doing all this, and it was very inexpensive anyway. Um, so I put together the prototypes, and, and I really didn't have to spend much money. I think the, the biggest risk was was probably like fifteen hundred bucks for the first. Maybe we did fifteen hundred, a few grand max, or to do the first minimum amount for the shipment. That was probably the, the biggest risk. So it wasn't very expensive, but I certainly didn't do a business plan or really think about how it would work. I mean, I, I knew, I did the rough back of the, back of the envelope, uh, you know, how much did this retail for? And um, and this and, was all uh, down in... Uh, in Peru. In, in Peru. Lima, Lima, yeah. So so where were you in life at this time? Like, you know, how old were you? What, what let you just kind of pick up and go to Peru? Uh, I guess I was 30, 30, 33, 34. And... Uh, I'm very fortunate. With my, I started an internet web development firm in, in Seattle. We built websites uh, in uh, early '95, and uh, it went very well. We we did a lot of work for Microsoft, and we built the company up to around 60 people, and, and ended up selling it in '98 to a company called Bound, which is a big financial printer based out of New York. Um, so How much I was, did you sell it for? Uh, <laughs> millions of dollars. It went. It went very well. It was a good. It was a good company. We grew it on cash flow, and um, so it was. Uh, yeah, it was. We were both. My cousin and I were very happy with with how it went. So yeah. So I, I had the luxury of sort of not not having to worry too much about about the finances, and and so I was really just getting in, getting into green. Essentially, this web firm. We we had done really great work. We had created a great culture. It's, the, and it's such an amazing team, and I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Like it just. A, so it was a really rewarding thing. It was a great environment and just really, really cool on that front. But at the end of the day, we're doing websites, like marketing websites for Microsoft. So the, the product itself you know, well, it wasn't something that touched me at a very deep level. And so um, I just I really wanted to – I sort of had the luxury of being able to try to look for something that, which would appeal to uh, – would fit my values better. And so that's why I was sort of doing the green stuff. Hmm. And so, so getting back to the cup, like it's it's funny because like we've had a lot of people on the show where you know a lot of them start with a consulting company and then they come out with right after that like their product company that's going to go out there and change the world. Mm -hmm. Here you are in Peru and you have this idea for the ceramic cup. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, so, so it was going through your mind, like, was this kind of the first time you've ever built something where, you know, you kind of build the product first and then you sell it as opposed to taking the consulting contract and then building the product for someone as in service versus product. And yeah, so that, exactly. Uh, I mean, at age nine, I think I was like in Barbados, uh, found sound sand dollars and bleached them. Not very environmental. Uh, and then would, had my sisters and maybe even my cousin uh, selling them to tourists on the beach. So I think I've you know I've done the uh, as a Boy Scout I like I was the guy who would sell the most calendars and so I was a good salesman and liked the idea of products and and I had a, a small clothing company that uh, uh, called Three Brothers that a few of us started at the end of architecture school when we were bored and so we got in like twenty five stores there. So I'd done a bunch of product stuff. In fact, I worked for uh, I did uh, uh, for Board of Authority, which I did production uh, management and design, a whole bunch of clothing there. So I'd done a bunch of product-related uh, stuff. Uh, through SiteWorks, the, um, the web development firm, there definitely was that constant tension and people wanting to develop software products and we did we did a few and experimented it's a it's a hard thing they are very different businesses and um you know i, I they're they're di they're different um and and i like each of them for 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 different reasons so tell me more about the cup business then so you make this cup i guess did you kind of get the prototype right and then you know what, what were the steps to getting it distributed and getting it out to the world uh, well, I think the real coup, uh, we nailed the product. Like it's a, it's, you know, it's really detailed. We have a little, uh, the seam, like, like the paper cup has a seam and the, the, the rim and then the, like it's really, it's very nicely detailed and we get them done in Bangkok and they do a, a really great job. Um, so I think, I think that's part of it. The, I think a, a big success point for me was just, I was very persistent about finding out who had the license and and moving, figuring it out, and which took a lot of phone call calling and a lot. And of I would have never thought that anyone had the license on this. So I mean, people who who are listening, they'll have to look at the item. But it just seems so common. You'd have never, I'd you know, I'd never have guessed. Like, yeah, yeah. Seems well, and in license. fact, I think a fair number of people just don't don't license it and just sort of run with it, which, you know, I'm, I'm a designer. I, I appreciate the value of design. So I, I never thought of, of doing that. So how do you track down the so. license holder? So I just, you know, looked at the paper cups and then figured out what company it was. And then I just literally called and, and ended up with the person, one, the person that I ended up doing the deal with was one of the early people I talked to. And then I literally moved my way around the organization and ended up back at the back with this person. <laughs> so, um, and how do you do the deal? Did you have like a perpetual license to use it for ceramics? Yeah, we just yeah, I just uh, did a deal for the for doing it out of basically hard substances, and yeah, so we got the exclusive on that, and so that that was the real coup in terms of how we sort of got it got it out there. Um, just literally would run around New York with some in a in a in a bag and and go into stores and show them and. Um, and so slowly we started getting uh, accounts. And then uh, a big change was actually when we got the MoMA. Uh, hmm. And then so once once we sort of were in, in the MoMA store, and they're a great client of ours. They've done really well with it. Once we were in the MoMA, then it just everything sort of changed. Then we go into stores, and they might not they'd be they might they'd be sort of uh, maybe le less enthused about it. And then 
And then once they sort of hear the MoMA had it, then that would all change. So it's really fascinating. It's a, it's a consistent theme, I think. Like I, I look back at to SiteWorks, the web development company, and I really think that you, you sort of – it's when you get that key client, it really changes things for you. So, you know, when we landed Microsoft, that made all the rest of the sales much easier. And the same thing, the same thing with, uh, with MoMA. So you know, it's important to get that one sort of key client. Yeah, and and with all that, did you just kind of distribute it yourself? Someone called up and they said, "I need more cups," and you're running down there. Or how did you? Uh, well, we, I mean, I'm all for simplicity, and I think one of the nice things about this business it's a one skew business, and so we've outsourced as much as we possibly can to people who are really good at doing each area. And then we sort of keep the core, um, and then outsources outsource all all, all the rest. So we so have uh, outsource warehouse pick and pack facility in Maryland, um, and they do a great job. And so we just uh, basically we've kept the customer relationship. So we they order through us, and we we take their money via credit card or what have you, and then we then the mm-hmm. warehouse sends it out. So very you simple. were saying it it was fifteen hundred dollars to get to kind of having a nice prototype. We actually made I think the first. Run was fifteen hundred cups. Oh, 1,500 cups. Fifteen hundred cups. So, how much yeah. money did it take altogether to be able to sell the first nice product? I think it was fifteen hundred. So, a few grand type thing, like very, you know, a bunch of sweat equity yeah, yeah. type, you know, hours. Like less time. than ten thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not. You can't count your time though. If you count your time yeah, as an yeah. entrepreneur, you'll never, <laughs> you'll never do anything. <laughs> But uh, that's a that's a big lie of yeah, uh, bootstrapping, never, right? Never make those uh, calculations because then all, all of a sudden the the big corporate jobs look a lot more appealing, <laughs> a lot less risk. Uh, um, yeah, so it was a few few thousand dollars really to get to, to get it going to, and that was that was the big risk that they just wouldn't sell. But you know, uh, assuming you do a half decent job, then at least yeah. you know, say it was three grand, maybe you sell it for. Uh, Thirty percent. Then you, you know, and what was the team? Was it just you, or did you have other full time people on there? Uh, that, at that point, that it was just me. Yeah, I worked. I mean, the air filter. I had a bunch of help from a roommate named Greg Lule, uh, and you know, board of advisors and some scientists, etc. But uh, you know, it was a very small company. Quote yeah, unquote. yeah, yeah. So I want to get into Tree Hugger soon, but let's say you know before Tree Hugger yeah. with all these different projects, like which one? Which one were you most proud of? You know, you meet you meet someone at a bar. They ask, "What do you do?" or "What have you done?" You know, which one would you say first? Which one was really you know besides like, Treehugger or uh, yeah, let's overall? say besides besides Treehugger. Tree uh, get into that. Well, the web firm, I'm very proud of. Them. You know, my cousin and I did a. It was a pretty cool thing. Like it was, we sort of saw, we saw the future in a way. Like we 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 both saw the web and we're like, that's it. And and we did it, and we put together a great team of people, and we literally grew it on. Uh, you know, I think I borrowed my dad lent me six thousand dollars at the beginning, you know, with credit cards, and then a, a loan from this uh, uh, sort of uncle named Mo Joyal. Um, he gave us a bridge loan of like thirty thousand dollars at one point. So we really we built built a sixty person company on cash flow. So we're, we you know, we did some really great work. So I'm I'm quite proud of what we did there for sure. So let's let's get into tree hugger. Like, when did the you know when did this idea come to you? Well, it had been kicking around for many years. I would I would say like I did a I literally did a Photoshop course in two thousand, and we had to do ads, and so I did a series of ads which were these uh, 
basically ripped out uh, uh, magazine ads like Polo or uh, what have you with like basically really good looking sort of modern contemporary urban type folks and and mm-hmm. one of them I just I put tree hugger across the middle one of them I put bleeding heart mm-hmm. one of them I put damn hippie and so my point was that you should be able to be a modern urban dweller and still care about the environment it didn't have to be confined to the to the hippies so uh it probably started around then and just took many years for it to happen and uh around sort of 2003 i've got friends with a guy named nick denton who runs uh, gawker media and so he was doing a few different uh, blogs at the time i guess uh, gizmodo and gawker maybe a handful and so i just was around them and seeing how it was and he and so he really helped push it was sort of the, all of a sudden the right technology was there and he, here was a friend who knew how to do this stuff, and so he re- really helped push me into into doing it. Hmm. So this was 2003. When, when did you buy the domain name, by the way? I probably bought it in like Q1 of '03, I think. Okay, yeah. so like many, probably like many other web entrepreneurs, you were buying domain names long before you uh, had the business together. No, this one was. I had the idea. Um, I mean, I had. I had. You, in 2000, I had done this this ad with Treehugger on it, um, so I had a series of names, and it was a was trying to pick from a number of them, and Treehugger was a clear winner. So I got it for 2,500 bucks. So <laughs> I was pretty happy about that uh, from some guy in Korea, actually. Funny enough. Yeah. Mm. So uh, a lot of times businesses turn out to be something very different than they they started as. But if I could go back. To 2003 and mm-hmm. ask you, you know, in 2003, uh, what was the idea for Tree Hugger? How would you describe it? Uh, well, I'd say it definitely shifted somewhat, but it's pretty much what I set out to do. Um, so the, the, the base idea uh, was that, that green equaled hippie, essentially. You know, the hippies has been the backbone of this for 30, 40 years, which is great. Um, but it's a really small, really fringe market. And so I felt like if green was to mainstream, and that was the objective of the company, that it really had to become a lot more contemporary and urban and cool and aspirational and just a di- really a different, mm. a different aesthetic. Uh, and that way it could expand into the, into the mainstream. I also thought that um, there, there are only ever going to be, a, sadly, a small percentage of, of the population that are going to do things just because it's the right thing to do. And I think the hippies were largely doing that. Um, so you need to make it really convenient. And I think convenience is the real killer. We're all really busy, and so if you may really want to do the right thing. But if it's going to take you a long time, forget it. It's just not going to happen. So I wanted to basically make green cool and convenient and I thought if I could do that um, push hard so that there was content sort of every day fresh new great content and and really from a global basis that it would people could really uh, attach to it and and step into this modern green future sort of see the vision of this future and sort of mm. be able to really step into it uh, right there so that was the um, that was the basic concept we were I, I'd say how it, it shifted we were very design focused at the beginning so really a ton of architecture and products like lots and lots of that and that we've sort of shifted um, to become much more environmental news in general um, with less and less design although I'd like to get uh, some more of it um, 
So that, that, I think that was the basic mm. vision, um, push really hard. And, and so sort of the reason I think it hadn't really happened uh, to that point was that it was you know, big nonprofits who might not understand the web uh, nor, or care about it enough, or labors of love, people with jobs, you know, that just they're doing it in their, in their after hours. And it's, it's hard to sustain. So I really thought it needed someone who just really push it. You know, so we, we made the, a promise to the reader that there'd be great new green content every day. And we've done that every day since. You know, it started at two, three posts. Now we're up doing, you know, probably 60 between planetgreen.com and treeherder.com. So. Would you call yourself a hippie? Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a, I, mean, I don't look like a hippie, but certainly hard. One of our taglines at one point was that our heart of a hippie look, looks of a modernist or something silly like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, my parents, I grew up on a, in a log house and went to a school run by parents type thing. So, yeah, I'm, I certainly come from the hippie background. Mm. And how do you, you know, I guess, I guess the stereotype of hippies is, you know, anti-business or... Mm-hmm. Don't do anything commercial. You know, go work at the nonprofit. So, you know, how would you describe your journey? Like, why why did you get into doing all these little businesses when you were and uh, working for Microsoft of all people? Mm, a yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I'm not so hippie. <laughs> probably when it comes down to it, I mean, I come from that background. Uh, yeah, I've always been like a for profit entrepreneur. I think it's important, and I, I actually. I believe in, I think nonprofits play a really important role, but I also think that for-profits play a really important role in socially, environmentally progressive areas. So, like, if you look at, at Treehugger, if I had done it as a nonprofit, and there are a lot of other sites that did this as a nonprofit, um, the advantage, I think, was that as we start to get some traction, we sort of prove that there's a market there. People are like, oh, wow, like a for-profit business is actually making a go of this. There must be something there. And so as we got more and more prominence, um, I can assure you that we're in a ton of business plans. I know for a fact because people tell me. Um, so that's, we, we, you know, it's not just sort of our impact. It's the ripple effect that we were able to have. And I think part of that ripple effect is really inspiring other businesses to get into the market. So I really think we did that. And then when we sold and someone people saw, wow, you can actually make some money in this area, you can be sure that inspired others to start businesses and it fueled the fire um, for all those who already were in the business. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a real advantage to doing a for-profit in a way. If you can do it right, it really inspires competition um, and just furthers whatever uh, mandate that you're focused on. Tell me about the process between when you, when you decide you're really going to make a go of this thing and you, you know, you had the idea solidified to the launch of Tree Hugger. Mm-hmm. How many months was that? You know, what'd you do first? Building the team, putting money into it, et cetera. Probably, you know, it's loose. I mean, uh, the initial idea was like 2000, right? So, I mean, yeah. fairly long time, but probably started talking about it and Nick started pushing me probably, you know, fall of 03 type thing and then. You know, early '04. So yeah, I don't know, six nine months until live. You know, somewhere in that, somewhere in that, and that. And I was doing the cup at the same time, which was probably distracting. And <laughs> yeah, you know, he was like, "Don't do that thing. You know, we're gonna, it's never gonna work." And ha. Uh, and 
You buy so, an yeah, app took- on Gawker.com just to... <laughs> No, I just give him. He he was right. I mean, it's a good, it's a great little, it's a great little business. But it it, it certainly was distracting um, mm-hmm. at some points, and it could have started Triacre earlier. Might have been. And, a, and what was your main things. focus when you were building this? Was it like doing the business plan? Was it doing the site infrastructure and design, or was it finding writers? Well, I'm I really tend to go with my gut, and you know, I probably should do more of a business plan. In general, but you know, realistically, I, I tend to not. So th- I think the focus was just getting something up. Um, the good thing is I'm not, I'm tight with money. You know, I really like I, I try to be. I think scrappiness is a really important thing in a small business, and you really want to, you want to set the DNA for the company being scrappy mm-hmm. and and not being not being loose, being really careful with what you do. So you know, I'm 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 a designer, I'm a creator, and so the focus was on on putting this thing together. Uh, not spending too much money and but but making it great so it was about you know figuring out the site infrastructure mm-hmm. and the name and the design and and then finding writers and and just getting it rolling so up until the point that you launched it how much not including your hours how much uh, money did you spend getting it going to the launch i mean i probably spent a couple grand on design and same on programming if if that so you know and how do you go about finding the writers for this that was a little challenging at the beginning, uh, so uh, really just reaching out to, through my networks and, and trying to find the right people or approaching people directly. Um, that was a, it was a little challenging at the beginning for sure. Um, what's really heartening is that I was trying to get people to, to, to commit to writing two posts a day, and that at that point that was a really big deal for them. They really mm-hmm. didn't think they could. And, you know, so it illustrates the absolute explosion in green that we've we've seen. Like now we've got a, uh, you know, editorial staff of around ten, full time, and then fifty part timers, and we've got a backlog of material. Like there's so there are so many green product services, news stories, etc. So it's very heartening. Mm. And then in terms of who you hired, did you do they end up being like experienced kind of? journalists or were they more you know i think denton's kind of famous for just finding people with kind of barely any track record who are young and hungry which which would your initial writers fall under probably the probably the latter i mean we've really got a a wide swath like from people that are 23 to people that are you know upper 50s so uh Mm. big big age range uh architects chemists biologists journalists designers like you know of all sorts so really really all over but yeah i wouldn't probably a really a fraction were sort of professional journalists and how do you pay them uh well we have a couple different ways we pay them now but we uh uh, really for the longest time it was all piecework so basically had a, a a price per post um we had sort of like like nine out of ten were were meant to be regular and then a slightly higher uh, price per post for the ones that took longer, and the, mm. they would just make that uh, determination themselves. And then we have a b- uh, bonuses based on traffic. So that was pretty simple. And now, now we have that same thing um, for our part timers, and then our full timers are are on salary, but they also uh, take part in the bonus plan. Mm. There's been a lot of discussion about how kind of price per post have evolved. I guess largely led by Gawker. What, what was your initial mm-hmm. price per post and how has that changed? I think we we were starting out at like I think it was like ten and 
10 and 15, maybe something mm. like that. Um, and I'm not, I'm part of a public company at this point. So I'm not really supposed to discuss, uh, financials, but we're, we're, uh, it's a bunch up from that I can say. And, and we certainly, um, we sort of did a poll and looked out what, what people were, were paying out there. And we're, we're definitely at the, the higher end of, of, uh, blog pay rates at this point. So, um, and we've had very little turnover. So I think we're, I think our, our rates are, are in the right ballpark at this point. And when it launched, did you have ads on the site at that point? Not really. I mean, I think I did some fake ones just to show sort of the brands that we'd want to attract yeah. and, and just to give it give it a flavor. I mean, when you say fake ones, you just like put the ad in. For yeah, or just put the logo. Yeah, they're not paying you. Yeah, just put yeah, the yeah. logo. Put the logos and. Um, yeah, I sort of my vision, um, which uh, my vision is essentially that that the ads should be part of the content. You know, and so, what and do you so mean by that? well, that if you pick, like you have a certain demographic that you're appealing to, and they're going to like certain brands, and and in a way, like when you read a magazine, if it's well done, you're looking at the ads because the ads do pertain to you; they're they're relevant, and so that's really what we wanted. So we wanted, you know, really cool green companies, and so um, we got a lot of them. It was it was really great. So it just becomes, you know, the ads should be something that you want to look at. Not something you don't you don't want to look at. So tell me about you know the first just few weeks of this thing. Like you put this public, you know, did you start with a big launch? Did it slowly trickle up? What was that process like? Really, I'm. I mean, I'm. Not, I'm not. I probably not a very good marketer. I sort of feel like in the internet age that I mean, I, I need. I guess I probably need to learn, but. But in general, like it's, it, build it and they will come. Like if if you do great work, the word will spread and people will come. And so we just focused on creating a really really great site, and it just it just started. And that you know it, you could put a, a ruler along the growth pattern. Like it just was very consistent, very organic. You know, nice slope, but it just built and built and built over time. So. You know, I think we had a launch party a year or so in with uh, my friend Shane McQuaid runs a company called Voltaic Systems. They do these solar backpacks. So we had a, a little launch party in New York. But, you know, the one where we, you know, I think Brooklyn Brewery, oh, you, the, I think you've interviewed them, which That's I right, recall yeah. really enjoying the interview, actually. I think they sponsored our, you know, so we spent a couple hundred bucks or something. So it was not, I'm not, I'm not a big marketing, marketing guy. So. So it just really it was just pushing, you know, trying to build a good site and regular content every every day, and just build, getting more writers and and just pushing. And for the longest time, I thought, you know, the the advertisers are not going to want to talk to us until it's really worth their time and we have enough uh, traffic. So it's really just a traffic game. Mm. So uh, you know, try to get some great content and get people to know about you and linking to you and do well in search and just push and push and push until you got the until you're at the right uh, level that advertising becomes a possibility. And what was that level? I think they ended up coming a little earlier, but I, I think I was shooting for like 500,000 page views, a million page views, something around that. Felt uh, like it would, a month, a day. A month, a month, yeah. yeah. But I've, I thought that would probably be an area where they, we'd start to be of interest. Um, I mean, advertiser, like people who buy advertising, they don't want to have to, they don't want to have to talk to a million different points of contact right mm. to, to get to, to buy their inventory so you need to so we were at that level even really lucky i mean mm. still tiny traffic for a brand but so tell me about the first ad sale 
God, I don't even know if I remember. I mean, we always did uh, Google AdSense. Uh, we worked with blog ads, so I'm mm. sure our, our earlier ones were probably blog ads. So we had a great, a great, uh, solid relationship with them for for many years, and that that worked that worked quite well. And then we ended up starting to sell direct, and it was nice. It sort of uh, it was the smaller companies that advertised with us with us first. Um, so like Sancor. I do these Enviro, Envirolet, like an environmental mm. uh, composting toilets, etc. I remember this one called Green Tea that did some nice green furniture. Simple Shoes, who's still buying from us now. They were fairly, fairly early. Uh, American Apparel. Um, With all these sales that you were doing, what, what was the team like at this time? Like the, when you started, I get the sense, was it still just you full-time and these part-time writers? Yep. Did you have any partners in starting it, or did you have no. 100% of the equity? Yeah, 100%. Yep. And we slowly brought on, built built a board of advisors, and and then a handful of the staff uh, were brought on. A combination when when they went full time, essentially, they ended up getting some some equity as well. Um, I mean, the core people really were a bunch of writers, and then the, uh, this guy named Nick Astor was uh, he programmed the site, and so he was our mm. tech guy for many years. Um, so he was very he was very helpful and, and core to the to the project and um, yeah it it was really mostly though contract a contractor setup virtual uh, we used uh, PayPal really made the company I gotta say really made the company it made it really easy to pay people internationally very simply so I just get people to PayPal invoice me every couple of weeks um, so that that system worked worked uh, worked really well. Uh, so you and I have in my notes that you were in Barcelona in 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I uh, dated a lovely woman named Olga Susplugas, um, and she's actually Andorran, which is a small country between Spain and France, up in the Pyrenees. And so, um, yeah, so was living with her in Barcelona, and so just started at, started out of a back bedroom there. And how are you able, you know, with this cup business? It sounds like something that would really keep you tied to New York. How were you able to just pick up and leaving? Go to Barcelona, which sounds great. Well, both of them really we designed to be entirely virtual. So, in fact, the cup business uh, is very easy to run. So, in fact, Olga still runs it um, and is currently running it from uh, for a few months from Bali. So it's a pick-and-pack facility in Maryland named uh, Chatham. Um, and um, so she just, you know, it's basically runs the business with uh, email. And, uh, and you don't need someone running around to stores convincing them to put it in there? You know what? We've done a ton of – I wouldn't say a ton. We've we've done a bunch of reaching out. Um, certainly the early days we had to run out and land some stores on a physical basis. But most of them just came to us from then on out. And, you know, we tried to push it, um, but it never seemed to it never seemed to work well. It's just like mm. – it's almost like retailers want to find something themselves, you know. When you try to push it to them, they're not interested. So – so we we've put some effort into marketing. It's never it's never really worked that well. So so it didn't really have to be physical, and we and we can just ask the warehouse to send a sample to wherever, and then you know if they like it, it's a pretty simple thing. It's, we know mm. the price. Do they like the product? You know, we're selling at all these two hundred seventy stores. Is it of interest to you? And so it's pretty simple. So tell me about you know running this virtually. Let, let's just uh, stick with tree hugger. Okay. So PayPal was one of the big tools. Yep. You're in Barcelona. What, what were your other tools? 
Well, largely, uh, you know, Gmail and uh, later on Google Docs. Uh, Skype for phone calls was was absolutely huge. Um, and and it, Skype really, uh, one of our writers, Lloyd Alter, um, based out of Toronto, came up with this idea, um, which is which is nothing new necessarily, but has worked extremely well. And I'm very thankful for him for having suggested it. And that's uh, he created something called the water cooler. Um, and essentially, it's just a, a Skype chat with uh, the core members. So we've got like I don't know, ten, fifteen people in there, and it's basically always on, and people are sort of going back and forth. Uh, and you know, probably two thirds, three quarters of it is business, and then there's some sort of water cooler talk. And so it brings together the team in a way that we really didn't have before. That's like very different from email. So you know, Chris and Chris and Jamie out in San Francisco, Lloyd in Toronto, Mike in Ottawa, Meg in Rhode Island, Ken in New Jersey. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. People, uh, people all over the world, sort of conversing. So that Skype was a Skype was a big one, and and the water cooler. That was that like a set time of day, or is just always on and people connect to kind of the uh, the conference. It's just always on. So you open up Skype, it's there, and as soon as anyone starts typing into it, then you're there. So, so that that's been really great. So that one's Skype's been really important. Um, you know what? The Google Docs. Like I'm I'm definitely a, the the network is the computer fan like it's all about the cloud and i th- i think it's absolutely the way to go i hate mm. you know i finally uh a few years ago finally got fed up with rebuilding my inbox and i said screw mm. this like i'm i'm never i'm not doing email software anymore so i just so i've been using gmail and it's great you know it works yeah. from any computer anywhere and yeah it's is it not quite as fast does it not quite have the same functionality as email software no but you know what? I'm not spending time rebuilding my inbox and, and freaking out every six months, which is what it felt like. So, so um, Gmail is great. Google Docs, being able to share stuff out and work on it uh, at, at you know asynchronistically or or at the same time. You know, I think that's been a really good one. Mm. And certainly, part of discovery is different now. Um, but PayPal was so useful. It was so easy to pay people, and that would have been an absolute nightmare. So, like, literally, they just mm. invoice, and I make sure the numbers look roughly correct, press pay, and it was done. So that one was very useful. Where did people mail your checks to? So, like, advertisers, where do they send the check? So we would outsource legal and work with Perkins Coie, um, who we've worked with for many years in, in uh, Seattle. And then on the accounting front, uh, Deb McBride is our accountant or a bookkeeper in Brooklyn, and then Sandy Kaufman, uh, our accountant in, in New York. And so we just get them to send them to the bookkeeper, and she'd, she'd cash them so we didn't even have to be here. Just use her address as the business address to, for most mm-hmm. mail. And what what drove you to do this? Because, you know, most people are just kind of live in the city, and, they, you know, even if they set it up that way, they just use a kind of apartment address. Why do you want to be... So mobile. I guess I, I, I mean, I, it's it's actually a very it's very conflictual at this point because um, flights are a big source of emissions. So it it's tough. It's actually tough for me. I'm I'm trying to sort of rationalize my way through or figure out. I might even be my next project, looking at aviation and stuff. Um, I just I've always really loved traveling. Uh, and and I, I love the concept of, of a virtual life where I could work from various places and 
So we had incredible experiences. I lived in Barcelona. I lived in Bangkok for five months. I lived in Mysore, India. I lived in Buenos Aires for three months. So living in these places, and I just, you know, put in a good work day. But at lunch, I'd be in the foreign country, you know, and at night, go check stuff out, uh, you know, so learn a new language. And uh, so it was really great. I just, I like the, I just really like the flexibility um, and it tends to be a lot more inexpensive. You don't need a space and, and all that hassle that it brings with it and commitments. And so I, I'm, I'm big on virtual. I think it's, I think it's great. Hmm. I think it's great. And he, even now, like I, I work out of, out of work out of my home. Um, there's a discovery office uptown. I could waste an hour a day commuting up there, but it's really, there's no hmm. advantage to that. So, and it's better for them. They get more work out of me. So it's, I think it works. Uh, and, and obviously it's great on the green front. You know, I got this great hmm. space. It's crazy that it will be empty <laughs> most of the time. Does it get lonely though? Working, uh, you know, working in total solidarity here. I guess I've gotten really used to it. Uh, you know, you try to not get too friendly with the fridge. That's probably the most <laughs> the most dangerous thing. Um, but with the water cooler, you know, you're you sort of you're connected and you're you're talking to people on the phone. And and I I book lunches like I'm I basically go for lunch every day and I, I generally have a lunch with someone. Um, so yeah, it's a little it's a little lonely, but you get stuff done and mm. it's peaceful and and you can certainly get on the phone or get on on the chat or whatever. So it's not too bad. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear more about how to pull that off within a company. But, <laughs> but first, uh, I just want to kind of walk through the rest of the tree hugger story up to up to your acquisition. Sure. So, so I guess one of my questions is: Was it, you know, did you reach profitability before getting acquired? Yes. And when did you reach profitability? See, these are all things a good businessman would would know. <laughs> uh, I think so. We started in two thousand four, two thousand five. I think we were even close in 2005. So we started mm. in 2004, sort of, you know, probably a year and a half, two years. I, I, I seem to recall that 2006 we were break even, and it may have been even 2006. So, you know, a couple of years. Mm. So it, it and how much money went into it to uh, get there? I, not including <laughs> my time. Yeah. Which really throws everything out the window if you, if you think about it. But, uh, uh, I I think around 100. I probably had 150 grand out the door at maximum at any point in time, so it was a pretty scrappy business. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and what traffic level did you get up to before reaching profitability? Probably a couple of million page views a month, something like okay. that. And how did it break down? How did your revenue break down? I'm assuming it was just about all advertising. It was that, yeah, it was all advertising. I mean, I think we did a tiny bit of consulting, but maybe 5% yeah. or something just opportunistically. So, no, it was in the, absolutely an advertising mm -hmm. model. Uh, that broke out, you know, we had AdSense, we had blog ads, and then we had direct, and I guess we had AdBright text ads, so lots of different sources. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the beginning, it was mostly the uh, AdBright blog ads, AdSense. And then it really the, the the direct grew and grew and grew and grew. So by the time let's say well let's just say jumping to 2007 when uh, well, I want to ask about how that acquisition happened, mm -hmm. but when they would have been going over your books then, how would it have broken out between direct ad sales versus the networks? 
Uh, so you want, you want to know what happened at that point? Um, total guess, 60-40. 60 direct and 40, um, yeah. 40 sort of the networks. Like we ended up doing really well with AdSense, actually. Hmm. I think uh, I think largely that uh, we just uh, green was good. And there was a there was a fair amount of green advertising, and we'd do well in search. And so we'd have people searching for something specific. They'd come to the page on one of our posts. So you're searching for bamboo shirt. So you'd come to a page on Bamboo Shirt, and there would be a Bamboo Shirt ad right there. And so uh, that's actually done fairly well for us and obviously is very little effort. So um, so that one was good. So this business grew. What what were their revenue numbers like annually in, you know, 06, 07? Another question that I should be able to answer <laughs> off the top of my head. I think that we were around, sort of run rate of around point. Two million when we were acquired in August of '07, something like that. And what were the costs like on that? Uh, the costs, another good question. Uh, well, we were certainly profitable, and so I don't know, eight hundred maybe something like that. Hmm. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really guessing. I watch. I mean, I'm sort of. I'm a funny business guy, I guess. Like, I'm, I'm careful with the, and I know what I know what the nut is, and I watch it, and I'm careful not to overspend. But I don't. Yeah, I. I you think I would remember those, and I unfortunately don't. What kind of just what kind of days are you putting in at this point? Like, how many hours a day? A big question for me is whether you can actually do a business and do it in a in a balanced way. I'm not too sure. Um, I was an absolute workaholic for a number of years. Um, so yeah, and it's, you know, and it's sort of sad cause it's I, like, I, you know, I, when I describe, I'm sure it sounds pretty awesome living in Bangkok and Barcelona, et cetera. Mm. And it, in a way it certainly was, but I basically was just a workaholic with less friends around. Um, so I would work really, really long hours and uh, it was really, it was really tough. It, it took a toll on my relationship with, with Olga certainly. Um, yeah, I worked uh, worked really hard. Was uh, I was quite obsessed. I tend to get quite obsessed. So, so the, a lot of yeah. Every, I mean, basically every day. Like the concept of sort of taking weekends off was uh, is still a, a new one. <laughs> you know, it's been I guess a year or so. So tell me what happened in '07. You know, I mean, you still you're working hard, but I imagine it sounds like you were enjoying it, and you could pick up any time, go anywhere in the world, making a profit. How'd this acquisition thing come about? Well, I sort of view my my role as being someone who takes something from nothing to something. I think that's that's where I fit. Um, that's where I enjoy it most. Um, and frankly, when it gets to be 30, 40 people and there starts to be a sort of management team, et cetera, it just gets a little sort of airy-fairy management focused. And it's just not, an, it's not something I'm good at, I don't think, and not something I'm particularly interested in. So... I'm. I. I mean, I've sold. This is the. This is the second one. Um, that's my. That's my interest. I think that. That's where I yeah. add value is at that stage. And so we, as we were a profitable thing and sort of you know paving the way in, in this area, we got a lot of attention. And in the fall of '06, actually, we went pretty far down the road um, with the company in terms of being acquired. And basically got to a point where we we the we were quite close but we we were saying listen like we're going to we're on a tear here we're going to be 
double our size and mm. therefore double double the price that we would sell it for in a year and so we're just not comfortable with with where what the offer on the table was so we actually walked away um from that one that was an offer from discovery or from that was from uh, another company and uh, some of the stuff i have uh, nda so i can't i can't really share but you know great company good 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 fit like it felt felt right but discovery came along i just was the perfect fit you know just the perfect mm. fit i mean when you say they came along what was the first i guess did you bring on a banker or did they contact you how did, what was the first communications no they con- contacted us and it's always very funny it's always the same thing they sort of want to get together and talk about how you can work together and you basically yeah, yeah. generally know oh work together and okay like who, this is this is an acquisition companies like who, who makes who sends that email you know uh, this was a woman named Claire Alexander, and it was really her, uh, my Oalater, it was really her vision for, she sort of was tasked, I guess, to look at, look out at the green scene, figure out who was who and who, who made sense. And so she, she picked us, which was very flattering. So she was in sort of business development and, and reached out and talked. And so, you know, she looked through the business in more in depth and, um, we got along well and it just was it just was a no-brainer, you know. Discovery. It's a it's a great brand. Um, it's just you know the, their globe is their logo. Like they just they've been focused on nature stuff for 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 forever. They're a big global company, and then they're moving into green, and they needed someone to sort of help speed them along. And so it was just the was perfect thing. So we did talk to a num- number of other companies, but they just were persistent, and uh, we just really liked the fit. And uh, and the the money was right, and so it just uh, it all worked out, and it went very quickly. We spent a lot of time on the term sheet, which I, I would highly recommend. Actually, we really worked that to death, and then so once we had signed that, it just uh, literally was I think a few weeks before it was was a done deal. So uh, yeah. So I think uh, these acquisitions are kind of a mystery to a lot of entrepreneurs who've never been through it. Mm-hmm. So when you actually did it. You know what you need to do was it uh, you know was it finding the right lawyer was it finding a banker like what was the team like what, what were the mechanics to actually get that done? Well, the mechanics were uh, I so when my cousin and I sold the first company in Seattle, um, we this uh, friend of mine named Shane McQuaid we had brought on as a board of advisor, and so when it came time to sell for us it was a big life changing event it was a big a lot of money for us. For most people, for a, a bank, not that much. And so we sort of looked at it and thought, you know what, we can bring on a banker, but we're not a big deal to them. And basically, they're going to try to, they're not going to want to put too much time in this. And so they're probably going to sell to the, to someone pretty soon versus really working it for us. And so we elected to go with Shane, who's this Columbia MBA, had been at McKinsey Management Consulting, it just was sharp and had worked with us for a number of years, so really knew the business. So we basically gave him a cut um, with accelerators Mm. in it. So ballpark, like what are these cuts like? To, uh, he probably wouldn't be excited for me to share that stuff, (laughs) so I'd I'd probably prefer not to. I've heard banks like usually take 2%. Like we've never done a deal at the bank, so that, uh, but that sounds, Cheap to me, actually. I would mm. I would think it would be more like five, um, but I'm not I'm not I'm not really sure. But I, I would okay. say it would be, be at least sort of three, four, five. I, I I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Uh, 
So we just thought that uh, he would just take better care of us, and and he did. So he did a great job. He was a really good negotiator, and I I worked really close with him. We talked to a lot of different companies. So long way to say that we had developed this great relationship. That's how I became uh, really close friends with him. And so uh, he was on our board, and basically the the it was the same expectation. Like when I brought him on, I said, you know, let's we may do this again. And so we sort of set it up from the outset. So he worked with us, um, and that's and so basically we 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 did the same thing, and and it was the same. You know, it still wouldn't have been a huge deal for a bank necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. So so uh, it worked out really well, and got to work with Shane, and it's it's sort of it's it's fun, it's stressful, yeah. and and but it's you know it's it's intellectually challenging, and it's fun to no- negotiate. So it's mm-hmm. good. Uh, so ha- that's how it, that's how it worked. That's cool. So you closed this deal. What changed? Uh, well, the good thing is not not a lot changed, and what changed was good. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've made money in the past, so it wasn't. Uh, it was. I mean, it was a great thing, but I'm pretty simple, any, anyway. So, you know, it's not. My life hasn't changed that much. Uh, Business wise, uh, we you know got some credibility being part of Discovery. Uh, we're able to build out a bigger team and, and do some really good technology stuff. And so, you know, they're like, all of a sudden I have this guy, this great PR handler, uh, communications guy named Brian Hughes, who's like really takes care of me and, and it strategically goes out and gets press. And so that stuff's uh, been fantastic and stuff that we just never had before. I mean, we didn't do any PR whatsoever. Search engine optimization, like you have a guy who actually is really focused on that. Um, so marketing and SEO and HR, like all of a sudden staff having real mm. great health plans and, and, you know, so a lot of that stuff was really good, but they also really left us alone. Like we, we left Treehugger on our own technical platform. They let us keep our own, uh, technical team. So Ben and Eva still working on it so we can still move really quickly. So it's, you know, very little mm. turnover and I think it's a great, it's a, Few acquisitions work. It's often a kill what you love situation, and Discovery's done a, a, a really, really good job. So we've really we've been able to prosper. I should know the numbers, but we're, you know we're probably triple the size when we were acquired, double what we were last year this yeah. time. So um, it's it's been great. It's been, I mean, and I'm an entrepreneur. It's been like all it's coming up on two years, and I'm I'm still here. So I think that's really testament to them. Doing a good thing, so I've been able to add. I think add a lot of value and and actually really enjoy it. So so it's a, it's they they should be congratulated. It's a really good job. And it sounds like it went well. I saw in the 10K it was acquired for 10 million and 8 million's been paid out. Is that all? Is that all in the 10K? Uh, I'm not really supposed to talk about all that stuff. So I, I'm it's a public company, and I I'm, I guess if it's there, then then you can say <laughs> what it is. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a great deal. Um, you know, and so how are you, well, first of all, like how many times uh, a month do you go up to that office, the discovery uh, office to New York? Really rarely. I go to silver spring more often. And at this point it's really once every two months. So one actually really important story, and I can't believe I've left it out to, um, to now, but, um, one, one thing I did that I'm really happy with, and I'd really recommend people thinking about if they're in a similar situation, uh, I suspected, being a sort of nothing to something person, I suspected that we'd probably sell at some point. So about close to a year uh, in, or close to a year before we got acquired, 
hired a guy named Ken Rother, who um, had sold his web firm in Toronto to the same company, Bound, that we sold, my cousin and I sold ours. So I'd known him for years, trusted him, really liked working with him. So brought him on as COO um, so that he could really get ramped up, really run the show, and such that if I needed to leave, Treehugger would still would still be able to do well. And so that's gone really great. So I sort of have this dream job where he is really shouldered and really runs the show, and I'm able to focus on the stuff that I'm good at, which is a little more creative, a little more editorial, a little more sort of forward forward thinking visionary mm-hmm. stuff and, and stuff like press. So so he goes like every week for a couple of days at least and then I go to Silver Spring and then I go down uh, you know once um, once every six mm-hmm. weeks, once every two months um, type thing so that they still know that still know yeah. that I'm al- I'm alive and I don't have uh, I haven't outsourced myself to uh, someone in India who's <laughs> doing all my email. <laughs> so are you thinking about that? <laughs> I like to think that they couldn't do as good a job as I can. That they might notice. <laughs> so, how are you spending your time up now? I see you have the, the cups lying around here, and uh, it sounds like you've got other ideas brewing. Are you still mostly focused on tree hugger, or you got other things going on? So, I'm uh, I'm working half time at this point, um, which is great, sort of keeping me engaged um, and and useful, but also starting to give me some time to just think about my next steps. Um, so I spend a bunch of time looking at Treehugger and Planet Green, um, and then the rest of the time I'm I'm sort of thinking about about, about new stuff. Or I mean, I'm, I'm slowly, mostly just getting my life organized. I've been I just still I'm 38, still live like a student, so I'm just trying to like get on top of my finances and sort of just you know get my life organized because I end up going into this obsessed build a business state, and then everything sort of goes by the wayside. So so that's generally the focus. It is important, I think, as part of this, to for people to know that that Trigger was acquired, but part of a bigger had part of a bigger mission. So, Discovery has a channel called Planet Green. They launched last June. It's the first 24-hour eco lifestyle channel. Reaches 50 million homes, like 15 different shows. So, a really great channel that they're really pushing along. And that's sort of so. There's there's the channel. There's planetgreen.com, which is the site we launched uh, sort of in the fall, officially in the uh, officially about a year ago, um, and it's actually doing really well. And it's really mm. focused on action. So Treehugger is more about inspiring and educating, knowing, and then Planet Green's more more about getting people to take action. And so those are sort of the the two sites and the channel all 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 work together. And, and that was uh, one of the inspiring reasons that we we went with Discovery. They had this sort of bigger cross-platform uh, mission. So right now you're you're organizing, you're getting things together, you're working half the time at Treehugger. What are you really excited about? What, you know, I imagine organizing in and of itself doesn't get you excited. You know, what what are you really looking forward to in the next year? Well, I'm a little nerdy, so the, so the organizing, particularly because <laughs> it hasn't been organized in so long, is actually sort of fun. But um, things that I'm pretty passionate about... You know, I spent like three hours reading about blimps yesterday. I just love blimps. I don't, I'm just—I don't know if they make any sense, but I'm—I'm um, I'm, this aviation thing is a big question for me. I'm—I'm I'm really interested in in sort of personally, like I've done—I I can really be green in most of my life, except the the flying is a really hard one for me, as it is for for many people, I think. So I'm—I'm I'm quite fascinated in looking into that and figuring out how, on a personal level, what I can do. And you know, potentially even on on a business level. Um, so I've been looking at blimps. I'm 
I'm a bit of a wannabe athlete. Uh, my cu- my cousin, my brother, Greg Hill, um, is a backcountry skier and and pretty insane and and very talented. Wins wins a bunch of uh, big races every year and, and that sort of stuff. So I do. Part of me is always wanting to do that. So um, I, my current sport of choice is, is uh, kite surfing. So I'm very uh, very interested in that, very very excited about that, and I'm trying to get as much of that in as possible. And then I play a bunch of squash as well. I'm pretty pretty into squash. So I don't know. I have a I mean I have a broad ra- broad range of in, in, of interests, um, and starting to have more time to to pursue them. So it's great. I feel very fortunate. Great. Well, I really appreciate you saying this story. Uh, before we wrap up, any kind of parting thoughts to entrepreneurs out there listening? Yeah, maybe I probably I could probably give a couple. Uh, I think there's a lot of focus. Um, there's a lot of focus on raising money, and that that a lot of entrepreneurs think is sort of the gating factor. And I think raising money can be actually dangerous because you you know you have A, B, and C that you can choose from, and you instead of choosing one of them, you choose to do all, do all of them. And so I think like there's a there's a beauty to starting a company in a scrappy manner. Um, in that it focuses you to find out where the gold is. It focuses you to really figure out what the core of the business is, what the DNA of the business is, and really set it from the outset. And mo- so money can actually be a, be a, a negative thing. So I, w- I, I would say um, that's an important one. Um, I don't know what other things. You know, do something you're really super interested in and really passionate about. I mean, that that's that's really the you know can't be it can't be it is said and it can't be said enough. You just you, you gotta don't do something that makes sense. Do something that you're passionate about. You know, I think that I think that's really important. Um, and I, I guess I would say also that 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 most of us, most of the people that will be listening to this, we don't have a lot to lose. Most of us have friends, family, government, etc., to fall back on if things really go south. So I think it's really important to think of sort of the, what's the, what the worst-case scenario is. And I think most people will realize it's really not that bad. And if it's really not that bad, then you can take some risks. And so, you know, I think take some risks. And, and also, like, just don't accept sort of the status quo uh, Concept that you know, don't be risky, and you got to keep that job, even though it's not exactly it doesn't fulfill your values, etc. Like, the world has a lot of bad stuff in it. Like, it, there's there's a, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering, and entrepreneurs can really help that. So, knowing that you don't have much to lose, knowing that on your deathbed you're never going to be sort of upset with yourself for having gone and tried to do something good for the world get out there and do it take a chance and really do something that's more in line with your values very speaking from experience with treehugger it's it's very very rewarding you can do some really great stuff and it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a, a non-profit um, it can be a for-profit and it can be something that allows you to do well and and subsequently will allow you to do more in the future. And so that's sort of the thing I'm on. I want to do something benign or do-gooder for the rest of my life. And that, so that's the that's the overall plan. And I will stop talking now. <laughs> great. Well, <laughs> not great to hear you stop talking, but we are out of time. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. And look forward to seeing uh, what you come up with next. All right. <laughs>
That's all for my show today with Graham. Thanks again to FreshBooks for sponsoring this. Again, if you need online invoicing, or in other words, if you need to get paid faster for your business, check out FreshBooks.com. Use the code VENTURE so they know you found us this way and to get a significant discount using that service. Thanks again to Graham also for coming on the show today. Really great story. Be sure uh, to check out VentureVoice.com where you can find links to his site, Treehugger. And you can also find a video that I did. This is a new thing that I'm trying. I recorded a quick video with him showing off his physical invention, the ceramic, typically throwaway, New York City coffee cup. He also gave me a couple of them. It's a uh, very fun item now to have on my desk. Thanks for listening, and thanks to my associate producer, Eddie Leviton, for helping to put this together. Until next time, I'm Greg Gallant with Venture Voice, entertaining entrepreneurship. <laughs>